1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, 26-31. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the, in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Feel free to take a seat. In the beginning, God... The Bible starts with the assumption, the truth, that in the beginning there was God. It doesn't set forth a a reason. It doesn't set forth a defense. It says, in the beginning, God. And this God created. This God spoke. He spoke and galaxies were formed. He said, let this happen, and it happened. Stars, planets, galaxies, clouds, fish, every plant. Every tree, every cat, maybe not every cat, but every dog, every microbe, everything, everything, God speaks and it comes into being. He is the original artist, the master craftsman, the creator God. What a God who would utter sound and matter comes into existence. This is the God that we worship this morning. And God created man and he created woman. This is the pinnacle of his creation. And it is only the man and the woman, after they were made, God said, this is very good. And it's only of man and woman that God said, I will make them in my image. I had to be image bearers, reflectors of my character and of my nature. God in his creation has such a high view of man and woman. There is something special. There is something unique about you. There is something that is so other to any part of creation that when God makes man and he makes woman, he says, this is very good. And he puts them in a garden and he says, I want you to be my representatives here on earth and you will live in perfect harmony with all created things, with every tree, with every animal, 
with everything, there will be perfect shalom. There will be perfect peace. And there's perfect peace between us and God in this garden. There's perfect unity between us and each other. There's perfect relationship. There's perfect unity between us and creation. But I wonder if perhaps the most wonderful thing was within Adam and Eve, there was perfect peace. No stress, no doubt, no anxiety, no worries, no resentment. Just in their inner being was perfect joy and peace. This is how God made things to be. And David, Bryce just read it in Psalm 8, when he considered everything he knew about God, when he looked at the heavens, he looked at the stars, and he just said, wow, God, you made all this. How can it be that you love us so much? And he turns it back to God and prays, and he says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will surely die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the Lord God as he was walking in the garden on the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. From Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, whose spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. From Romans 3. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, we were made to rule with God. And that original design, when we were in the, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was perfect peace, perfect shalom. And yet we call it into question. Adam and Eve said, uh, does God really know best? Don't we know better? And they questioned him. They questioned his goodness. And they thought, you know what? We're going to go our own way. I want to know what it's like to know good and evil. God, God told them, you will have perfect unity and perfect peace if you love me and obey me. But they chose against him. You know, God and his love, like a father who, who lets their children make decisions themselves, he, he gives us the dignity of choosing to love him or not. Because love that is commanded, God could have made us in, and made us in such a way that we were robots and he could have programmed us in such a way that our natural response was love, that we wouldn't have had any other choice, but, but that wouldn't have been love. So God, in, in, in love and, and in honoring our dignity as image bearers, he says, I'm going to make you with the ability to choose. And you can choose to love or not. And Adam and Eve chose against him. And in that moment, in that awful, heartbreaking, world-changing moment, there was brokenness. We were separated from God. What was Adam's first response? Shame. 
he hid. He hid from God, the God who he walked through the garden with. What had Adam just lost? Imagine walking daily in the cool of the garden with the Lord God, and in a moment it is gone, and you hide. And that has been the story for me, and that's the story for you, that's the story for everyone. We hide because we felt shame, because we know that things aren't the way they're meant to be, and and that relationship with God was broken, but more than that, our relationships amongst us were broken, that that severance with God became interpersonal conflict. What was Adam's first response? Oh, it was it was the woman. She was the one who gave me the fruit. There's a, a pastor in Hong Kong. He says, would you think about it for a moment that the first act of injustice in the Bible was this moment, a man defending himself at the expense of a woman. Interpersonal conflict. Then every war, every murder, every act of hate stems from that moment. That is interpersonal brokenness. But they're not just interpersonal brokenness, but brokenness within creation. Creation now groans. God says to Adam, because of what you've done, the earth will no longer be an easy place for you. No longer will the food just naturally spring up and give you everything you need. You're going to work and there's going to be thistles and thorns and blood, sweat and tears. Creation was subject to sin. But then perhaps the most devastating of all was the brokenness within. And we all know what that feels like. The anxiety, resentment, bitterness, that sense that, oh man, this isn't the way things are meant to be. I wonder if, like me, you guys have a sense of, oh, there's more. I have a, I have a sense that there's a, there's a person that I will be one day, but within myself, I just can't make him appear. Brokenness ensued. We became separate from a God who is life itself, and we brought about the one certainty that we will all die. We will all die because of that moment. Things became utterly hopeless in that moment in the garden. Separation from God. Brokenness within, brokenness outside. He loved us and we chose against him. We abandoned him. Father, we love you, we praise your name, we give you thanks for your awesomeness of indescribable creation that displays, displayed your power, Father God, and your indescribable, Father God, genuine designs. And yet you said it's very good. And because man being created upon your image, Father God, you give him the dignity and you give him the power to choose, the power of choice. 
and instead of choosing to love you and obey you. Father, we've chose just to disobey you. And this is what the Bible describes as sin. The disobedience of God's command. As the scripture testifies that by the sin of one man brought death into all creation and man died. But also there is the good news that the gift of God is everlasting life. Father, we want to pour out our heart to you that we are sinners. And Father, we want to bless you that when there was no way, you made a way for us. And this way being paved for us is the way of the Calvary, Father God. Where we can see the God, Creator, the Eternal God, become in a shape of slave and become a man to die for me and to die for all who come and put their trust in him for the forgiveness of sins. Father, we thank you for your love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Father, we praise your name. We give you thanks and we repent now. We all repent, Father, from the bottom of our heart for all the things that we've done that doesn't glorify you. And we praise your name, Father, that we've been washed by your blood. And we have this security with you, Father God, of the eternal life. We honor you, Father God. Father John declares that how much is the love of the Father for us in that we've been called children of God. Father, we honor you. We bless you. Father, shape, your, shape our lives, Father God, to be like your life, Father God. Our wills to be in alignment with your wills, Father God. To save, Father God, to use us mightily, to shine this little light that you gave us, Father God, to share your love with all the people, Father God, to speak about your truth, Father God, that you loved us and you've died for us, Father. And we honor you for that, Father. In your name we pray, God. If anyone else has a prayer, feel free to offer it up.
Kids, I'm going to need your involvement now. So just as Jamie plays that same part again, kids, feel free to come forward. And I want you to come and grab a little tea light from this box that Mal and Eli are going to hand. And then come and grab a seat around the floor. So feel free to come and do that now while Jamie sings again. Okay, kids, now I need eyes and ears. If everyone can turn their lights off for a second, that would be great. So if you flick them off, and then what we're going to do is we're going to turn all the lights down, okay? So it's going to go quite dark in here, and when it gets dark, I want you to turn your light on, and I want you to say, turn the lights on, hope is coming. Turn the lights on, hope is coming, okay? Can you do that? Okay, so it's going to go dark. And once it goes really dark, I want you to turn your lights on and say, turn the lights on. Hope is coming. Okay, let's go.
Turn the lights on. Hope is coming. Turn the lights on. Turn the lights on. <laughs> oh, it's working. People walking in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. John nineteen sixteen, John nineteen verse sixteen to eighteen. Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. Romans five six to eight. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Luke 24, verses 1 to 8. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Ephesians 2 Verse 4 to 10. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, 
not by works, so that no one can boast. You know, we were made uh, for greatness. We were made to live in perfect relationship with God, and yet we threw it all away. But in that very moment when Adam and Eve sinned and we experienced that brokenness that just permeates our whole lives, God had a solution. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, God's first uh, direct uh, act of speaking, it wasn't to berate Adam. It was to the devil. It was to the serpent. And he said, one day a son of Eve is going to come and you're going to strike his heel, but he will crush your head. In that moment, God had a plan. Before we knew that how terribly lost everything was, God already had a solution. He had a plan to make all things new. And then thousands of years later, about 3,000 years ago for us, a prophet called Isaiah speaks. And it's what Sienna just beautifully read. He said, a light shines in the darkness. People saw, he saw this hope, this the savior that would come. And it looked like he was a long way off. But thousands of years later, this Jesus comes. This man born in poverty, a homeless wanderer. But he comes and he is different. And he lives this life that people go, man, this, what is this guy saying? Thousands of people followed him. They hung on his every word because he came to turn the world upside down. He was, he was one who was on the side of the poor. He was one who was on the side of the marginalized. Those who the rulers and the rich and the religious people condemned, Jesus said, no, 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 these, these are the people who get it. These are the people I came for. Who is this Jesus? And then, and then he goes to a cross. All his followers expected that, that he would be the one, this Messiah who would come and overthrow Rome and, and set up the Jewish kingdom. But then he, he's there and he's hanging on a, on a Roman cross, beaten and bloodied, nails through his wrists, through his feet crown of thorns on his head, excruciating pain, suffering for every breath. And he's there. Why is he there? What is he doing on that cross? You know, John Stott said, if the essence of sin is us putting ourselves where only God deserves to be, then salvation must be the act of God putting himself where only we deserve to be. We wanted to be like God and we put ourselves in his place. And he said, the only way I'm going to be able to make this right is if I put myself in your place. And so Jesus came and he willingly went to the cross for you. And he willingly went to the cross for me to bridge that gap that we could never bridge. I don't know how many of us have tried to live a good life to try and reach out and, and take hold of God and, and through your good deeds, through giving to the poor, through being a good, kind, lovely person, have tried to reach out and take hold of God and say, I can save myself. I can do it. I can be good enough. Jesus says, you can't. This brokenness between you and God is an infinite gap. That only an infinite God could breach, could could cross. And he did it because he loves. 
He did it because he didn't want separation between himself and those who bear his image. And so he came and he died where I should have been and where you should have been. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he said he would rise. He would come up out of that tomb and there would be a new way of living. There would be a new life available to everyone who believes, everyone who looks at that cross and says, Jesus, I see you there, but I see me there too. I should be there. That should be me. Of all the things I've done, I've thought, I've said, things I haven't done, the way that I've tried to be God in my own life. I see you there, Jesus, and that should have been me. Thank you. Thank you. And for those who say that, God says, I will make you new. And you can experience that shalom again, that peace again. What a God. What a Savior. Romans 8, 18 to 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning 
as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. One Thessalonians four thirteen to eighteen, brothers and sisters, we do not want we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we be with the Lord forever. Revelation 21, 1-7 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The spirit of the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Come. Children, you can feel free to go back to your seat if you like, and you can take that tea light with you. I'll grab them off you at the end. Hey, some wonderful scriptures there. We were, throughout those readings, we get this sense that, man, there is something new coming. And we live in this moment now, in this time that we call the already, but the not yet. Jesus has already paid our debt. He has paid for sin, but, but we are not yet living in that newness 
that new heaven, that new earth, that new creation. But there is a time coming. You know, Jesus has already defeated sin, and yet I still sin. I still mess up. He has he's made the way for us to be in, in unity with brothers and sisters again, but, but we still get into fights, and we still argue, and there's still conflict. You know, he's purchased healing for our bodies, and yet we still get sick. And he says that one day we will have, it will experience eternal life, and yet we still all die. We're in this waiting period, this already, but the not yet. But today we celebrate the greatest victory. It's the turning point in human history. What Jesus did 2,000 years ago upset the whole order of things. The whole order of things. It's known as the great reversal. Jesus comes and he sides with the poor. He sides with the marginalized, the outcast, the broken. And he says, by giving up your life, you will gain it. If anyone tries to hold on to their life, they will lose it. He came to upset the order of things. He said he's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end, and he's coming back. You know, one day everything will be made new. One day there will be that perfect shalom again. One day no more tears. One day no more cancer. One day no more dementia. One day no more stress. One day no more debt. One day no more bitterness, gossip, divorce, broken relationships. One day, one day, perfect unity with our maker. And that will be unending joy. There will be eternal pleasures forever at his right hand. And so we live now in hope that the God who came and took my place and took your place is coming back to gather us to himself as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And then when we're there in heaven with them, gazing on his face, we will spend the rest of eternity never plumbing the depths of who he is. Do you realize that you will spend eternity with God and yet you will never grasp, sorry, you will never get to the depths of a single ounce of his character. You will spend forever learning about his love. You will spend forever learning about his grace. You will never fully understand this wonderful God and yet it will be joy to be with him. Every single day, there is no need for the sun because his glory fills the heavens. One day, and that is the hope that we live for. That is the hope of what's ahead. And so now we live differently because of what's ahead and because of what's already been done. We live differently. God sends his Holy Spirit to dwell within us and remind us, hey, there's a new way of living. There is freedom. We have a message to tell, and that's the message, that's the story that we're telling today. And if God feels far off, if he feels like his delay is, if he's delayed in his coming, then it's not without reason. Before Jesus ascended and went to heaven, he says, I'm going to give you one more thing. And it's known as the Great Commission. He says, I want you to go, go into all the world, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a message. And until Jesus comes back, until all things are made new, we have work to do. We have worship to do. 
We have prayers to offer. We have people to meet. We have people to share this good news with. And if you're here today and as we've been going through God's story, you just think, man, that sounds amazing, but that's not real for me. Maybe you feel like the the part of this morning that you've identified with the most is the four. Maybe that's the part where you feel like, yeah, that's me. That's where I'm at. Brokenness. Pain. Brokenness within. Broken relationships. I just, I have this sense that I'm not who I was made to be. Maybe you're here today and you just, and you don't know Jesus. You don't know what it's like to be in perfect relationship with him. And the love and the joy and the peace and the purpose that comes from surrendering your life over to your maker. If you're here today and that's you, I would love, if we all just bow our heads, you can borrow some of the words I'm about to use as an expression of your heart. If this is you today and you want to know what it is to live in relationship with your maker again, then pray along with me. God, there's something happening inside of me and, and maybe in this moment I'm not quite sure what it is. But I've heard your story today and I'm compelled I've heard your story today and I've heard about you being the creator and how you loved us and and yet we fell, Lord, and we live in this brokenness now and I experience that in my life. God, I acknowledge that I am a broken individual. I do things, I think things, I say things that I don't like and that I know aren't right and yet I can't help it. God, I need you. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. I I acknowledge that should have been me. I acknowledge that should have been me on the cross. But you died in my place, and so I say thank you. And I accept your sacrifice. And I say, Jesus, please come fill my life. Make me new. I turn and I follow you. I will give my life to you. Please save me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.